0: Thank you for checking out the Life Church podcast here at Life Church Utah, located in Salt Lake City. We hope this message is a blessing to you. If you'd like to support our ministry, you can text the word LC give to 95577 or visit us at lifechurchutah.com. Okay, so um, if, you, if I could get you uh, to do this Luke chapter 2, if you could turn this uh, turn this up in Luke chapter 2, and um, there's a great question, I think, that, that we could uh, begin to, uh, to ask. And that is, to what did Jesus enter when it came to the world that he was, uh, was living in? Right, because I think sometimes we think that the world that we live in right now is a world that is uh, filled with uh, maybe ex- exponentially more issues or exponentially more problems or difficulties in the world. But to what did Jesus enter? Well, really, it was a time of political intrigue. And as I say some of these things, maybe you'll find uh, in our world today some, uh, some equality. A time of political intrigue. There were abuses of power. There was the powerless against the powerful. There was helplessness on part of a conquered people. Self-rule was granted to those in Israel, but it was limited by ruling families and systemic structures. Violence abounded in certain cities. Economic stratification with uh, those with controlled those without, and it seemed to create more for those who already had. And so it sounds familiar, I think, in the world around us. There are difficulties and there are struggles, there's uh, political intrigue. Anybody feel like that there's political things going on in the world around us (laughs) that we have no control over? The unrest is palpable, and in Jesus' time, there were uprisings, there were street protests, there was authoritarian responses, there were misunderstandings, and I am certain that around those dinner tables, just like ours, were conversations about what do we do, how how, how do we how do we handle how do we uh, how do we make it through this struggle? There'd probably be disagreements around those same dinner tables, just like there probably will be at Christmas time, right? Around our own dinner tables. So the confusion in their time is echoed in ours. When we read the news and we see the abuses of power through the assertion of one's will against another, uh, we recognize that we live in perilous times sexual harassment and abuse is now part of our conversation and not to mention uh, the fact that something like nuclear war would seem like something done and dealt with. I remember growing up in the 80s and that was certainly something uh, that we uh, feared very greatly in the 80s and then uh, even earlier than that in the 70s and 60s was something that was uh, just kind of in in the back burner of everybody's heart and mind and it feels like some of those things are coming back. There's a fear and a helplessness that arises. But this is Christmas, right? (laughs) So what does peace look like? We've spent uh, the last couple of weeks looking at hope, love, joy, and now we arrive at peace. And so what does peace look like for us? Well, before I get to that, let me uh, tell you a little bit. Uh, Tomorrow night, I want to encourage you to be here uh, for our Christmas Eve service. Part of the story that we haven't told yet is the story of the wise men the wise men that visited uh, the, the little baby toddler Jesus. And uh, we're going to find out more about their story, find out a bit about the gifts that they brought. And so that'll be for our Christmas Eve service right here at 5 p.m. Everybody is welcome. Please invite your friends, family members. You've got folks that are visiting uh, with you. We'd love to have them uh, come and be a part of uh, this tomorrow night. Super excited about that. Some great music and a good time together. And so what does peace look like? For some, this is what peace looks like. That wonderful symbol from the 60s, right? <laughs> that is peace. And that's what it represents. For others, like, yeah, whatever. Uh, the next one. This is the dove, right? This is kind of the universal international symbol of peace. And uh, we see it uh, plastered around, and it, for whatever reason, I don't know why the dove is so peaceful, but it is. You hear a dove, and you're just like, oh, so bad. No, I don't even know what a dove sounds like. All right, next. <laughs> Okay, maybe there are images or there are people that we associate peace with, and this is Gandhi, and if you didn't recognize that, this is Gandhi, um, but uh, there are others that you might, uh, might think about that, um, that have produced peace in our lifetime or, or somehow have brought this idea of peace to the forefront. Or maybe this last one here, just the very simple peace sign, right? This is it right here. Peace out, you know, whatever whatever that is. So this is the peace sign, and and I think there is something more to peace than that. We got this, right? And to me, this is peace, right? I mean, uh, you know, when Jesus was born, I think we have this really romanticized view that when Jesus was born that he didn't cry, everything was like totally peaceful that night. Talk about the song we sing, you know, the lowing of the oxen and things like that. It would have been a crazy night, right? It would have been just nuts. Jesus, Baby Jesus would have been crying and all those things like that. And yet somehow that night was peace. So into all of the craziness of the world of Jesus' time, all the upheaval and the unrest, It is to that that Jesus came. And I want to tell you that the same sort of thing that's happening in our world today, all this unrest and difficulty and and structural problems and political intrigue and all of that, to this Jesus comes today. Filled with ordinary people, ordinary concerns and hopes. And I know I shared this story last week, but I'm going to focus on a different part of it. This is uh, the story of the shepherds. All right, we, we we talked about last week and how they went out with rejoicing and there was a, a sense of joy with them, but we're going to look at a, a slightly different part of the story of the shepherds, but I need to read it again for you. Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 8, says, In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. Let me say that again. Don't be afraid. I think in the Christmas story, we hear that phrase a bunch of different times. Don't be afraid or fear not or something along those lines. And I think that's a a great part of the story for us. So don't be afraid. For look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David or in Bethlehem, a savior was born for you who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped, in tight, uh, wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was a multitude of heavenly hosts with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heavens and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angel left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all of these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard which were just as they had been told. It's not an ordinary night when Jesus shows up. Nothing is ordinary about it. Now, these shepherds were more than likely uh, a special group of shepherds. I mean, there, there are all kinds of shepherds out there, but this particular group of shepherds uh, could potentially have been the shepherds that prepared the, uh, prepared the sheep for the sacrificial system uh, for the temple in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And these sheep were very, very special sheep because these sheep were the ones uh, that were without blemish. These were the spotless sheep. These were the ones that were the perfect lambs for the sacrifice. So I want to focus on what the angels, the, this declaration that they sang Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth to people he favors. Peace on earth. Say the word peace peace. There's just something about that word. I love it. Peace on earth, into the chaos of the societal reality of these shepherds, political structure, the conquered, powerless, the authoritarian. In the face of all of this, the angels proclaim peace. So what exactly is peace? I think most of the time when we think of the word peace, uh, we think uh, dealing with conflict We think that, you know, it's the absence of conflict or the absence of war or uh, somehow it is, um, you know, just really dealing only with that particular part of the word peace. But the reality is peace has a lot of different ways that we need to look at, especially in the Old Testament. Now, the Old Testament word for peace is one that we're probably familiar with, and the word is shalom. All right, so that word shalom, and we'll, we're going to talk about that quite a bit uh, this morning. But really, there, there are four different um, like major areas of peace that the word shalom encompasses. Now, the very first one is that of the absence of conflict or the absence of war. So it's that, I, that idea there where there's a brokenness and between nations or between people groups, and so there's war, uh, war there, so there's conflict. And so shalom brings peace to those things. Now, the second part of shalom, though, is prosperity or success or fulfillment. When you are speaking shalom over somebody or speaking peace over someone, uh, you are speaking to them that there would be prosperity, success, and fulfillment in their life. Another part of it is right relationship or harmony. How many of you need peace within your homes, right? We, we desperately need that. So we need the God of peace to come down and be over our homes. And then the final part of that is this idea of wholeness of life or body. Right? So, so this, this idea of, of flourishing in our lives, in every bit of our lives. So it's this abundance. It's the breath of peace that's spoken when the angels arrived to proclaim the glory and the peace of God. I don't think we have to imagine too hard how important these words would be to the shepherds right? I mean, they're in a difficult situation. Uh, They know that things are rough for the community that they're in and the society that they're living in. And then when the angels come and they say, glory to God in the highest, peace. At that moment, they're going, peace? Through a child? Absolutely. Take us there right now. We want to go see this child. There had to have been a sense of wonder for them. There had to have been a sense within them that this is a new day. Now the crazy thing is to me, and I think about it, is that these shepherds had no idea that all of their work in preparing these sheep Uh, that they had for these, uh, you know, for the temple sacrifices, they had no idea that as they were walking up to this baby Jesus and maybe kneeling down right there where the baby Jesus was, had no idea that this would be the perfect sacrifice, the perfect lamb for them 33 years later. No idea. And that always amazes me. And so Advent peace is Christ-centered. Because the whole message, all the angels, everything that they were, they were talking about, peace, is all based on this child in the manger. And then Paul, uh, Paul was a, a disciple of Christ, uh, but after Jesus had ascended and after Jesus had gone uh, back to heaven, Paul comes along and uh, is in that relationship with Christ. And he is a, an incredible leader of the early churches. And so he writes to a church uh, in, in a city called Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 2. And he talks a little bit about this idea that that, uh, peace is Christ-centered. So he's speaking to Gentiles. Gentiles are not Jews. Anybody who's not a Jew is a Gentile. He's speaking to this group of people who doesn't know Christ or did not know Christ at the time. And he says, at the time you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope, without God in the world, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. In verse 14 says, for he is our peace. We've been brought near. Who's made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility, peace. God is all about bringing peace between peoples, between people groups, (laughs) between... uh, Ethnic divisions. This is where God thrives, is to bring peace through those broken, broken down areas of relationship. So there's this moment in the Old Testament uh, where this guy, there's a guy named Gideon. And uh, he, to me, is this wonderful, flawed hero of the Bible. Uh, He does not have it all together. And anybody feel like that at times? You're flawed, you don't have it all together, and it feels like it's just kind of there, right? Totally average. This is Gideon. And uh, can I give you a little, uh, little heads up? Uh, I'm super excited about a series we're gonna be starting in January. It's called Zero to Hero. We're gonna be talking about different heroes in the Bible. And one of them that we're gonna be talking about is Gideon. And uh, so during the month of January, we're gonna find out how to be a hero in your faith how to be a hero in generosity, how to be a hero in serving, and uh, really what it takes to be a hero when no one is looking, because that's kind of the, the sign of a hero, right? You don't even know they're next to you, and yet they're a hero. So what does it take when no one is looking to be a hero? So we're going to talk a whole lot more about Gideon. So if I leave out some big portions of the story, that means you just got to come back in January to find out about him. So uh, all right, so here we go. So Gideon is living in a time uh, of upheaval as well for the nation of Israel, and they are now controlled by a group of people called the Midianites. And the Midianites had oppressed them terribly, so much so uh, that uh, Gideon, uh, who was in the middle of threshing wheat. Now, I'm not a farmer nor the son of a farmer, so I have no idea how to thresh wheat. But what I understand is back in those days, uh, they would stand on top of a hill and they would, they would uh, take the pitchfork put it into the wheat they would throw it up and then that would the wind would take away the uh, the lighter stuff the chaff and what would fall down would be the stuff that they would want that's the wheat that they would want she'd so be on top of the hill in an exposed place Gideon however is down inside of a wine press which is very difficult to thresh wheat there very difficult because of fear the nation was in fear there he was in fear and an angel shows up at his doorstep and he says this the lord is with you mighty warrior There's Gideon completely filled with fear, and we're going to find out a whole lot more about him in January. So there he is, threshing wheat in a wine press, so difficult to do. Well, the angel and and Gideon carry on a conversation. There's some really cool things that this angel is kind of promising to Gideon, and Gideon rightfully wants assurance. So the angel has Gideon prepare a special offering, and we picked up the story in Judges chapter 6. The angel of God said to him, take the meat with the unleavened bread, put it on the stone, and pour the broth on it. So Gideon did that. It says, Then the angel of the Lord extended the tip of his staff into, uh, that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread. Fire came up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. Then the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. When Gideon realized it was the angel of the Lord, he said, Oh, no, Lord God, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Now In the Old Testament, it was, it was believed that if you saw God face to face, you would die. That was what it was. I mean, and so Gideon, recognizing this, he'd he'd seen the Lord face to face. Because uh, in the Old Testament, there are times when the angel of the Lord uh, actually refers uh, to this idea of God showing up, uh, showing up in a situation. And this is a bad place for Gideon to be. He'd seen God. He knew that his life was forfeit. There was no way he was going to live. But something amazing happens. The Lord speaks again right after this, verse twenty-three. But the Lord said to him, peace to you. Don't be afraid. There's that common phrase, right, over and over and over again in the Bible. Don't be afraid, for you will not die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, the Lord is peace. And this is where we get the phrase, Jehovah Shalom. So for those of you who really, really like studying more about the names of God, this is one of those names of God, Jehovah Shalom. God is our peace. There's completeness. There's soundness. There's flourishing and love and harmony. No fear and righteousness. All of it based for Gideon on a relationship that he had with God in that moment. Shepherds walk in to that manger and they look down at the face of God through Jesus Christ. Now for them, there was no fear at all. There's this little innocent baby there in the manger and they look at the face of God. What does God's face look like? Can you turn to your neighbor? quick? You just look at them just for a moment. Just look at them. Oh, aren't they cute? Aren't they handsome? Okay, what does the Bible say about us? The Bible says that we are the image of God. And I believe that every one of us, somehow, way, mysteriously, in the way we're created, carry the image of God. Now, it's broken. It's marred by sin. I get that. It's not complete. We need Jesus to make that complete within us. But when we walk into our places of employment, when we are there at Smith's or when we are at, I had some, uh, what, what's the, uh, the donut, play, begins with a D, Dun, Dun, not Dunkin' Donut. What? No, not Dunkin'. What's the other one? Dunford or something like that. I don't know what the name is. I had a donut today, blew my socks off. I'm not even wearing them anymore. It was awesome. They were really great. But when we're, if we're in the donut shop, wherever we are and we see people around us, we've got to remember that we are extending the face of God to folks. That we extend this peace that he promises through relationship. So those shepherds stare down at the face of God, unafraid, because God has changed things through his son, Jesus Christ. Isaiah says this, for a child will be born to us A son will be given to us and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. His dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. Isaiah speaks of this Prince of Peace. This peace that he brings, this shalom, this harmony is available, but we cannot overlook the fact that it is completely based on relationship with God. And if we are seeking peace in our lives outside of a relationship with God, we are going to find that that peace is temporary. We're going to find that every attempt that we do to try to find peace and try to make sense of the circumstances of our life without a relationship with God, that peace is fleeting. I'm gonna invite our worship team to come on up here as we close out. And so we find out here, secondly, that Advent peace is activated through relationship. Isaiah 26, three and four says this, and, and I really hope that there are some of you today that are gonna be able to hold on to the scripture verse because your minds are filled with, with things that, um, that tear yourself down, tear other people down around you. There's a, a, a um, kind of a mentality within you that says God can't fix this. Verse 3 and 4 says, you will keep, it's talking about God, you will keep the mind that is dependent on you in perfect peace, for it is trusting in you. Trust in the Lord forever, because in the Lord, the Lord himself is an everlasting rock. Trust in the Lord. Many years after the shepherds had looked on this newborn face of Jesus, he's now near the end of his life and he's teaching his disciples as he's speaking to them and telling them a little, bit about, um, a little bit about what is to come. He says in verse 26 of John chapter 14, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. Verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. What's he implying there? He's implying there that the way that the world gives is incomplete. The way that the world gives is fleeting. The way that the world gives is partial. But the peace I live you leave with you, the peace I give to you, I don't give to you as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. There's that word again, fearful. There's an invitation in these words from Jesus. The invitation is to take up what he has left for his people because he is the Prince of Peace. He is peace, Paul would later say. And he says that he leaves his peace with us. He gives us peace. It's available, but only through relationship with him. I'm gonna invite you to stand to your feet here as we close out. Some of you today are struggling in this season. The chaos of the world around you has settled in your hearts, and it feels like that there is no peace. It feels like that there that there's this, this constant struggle within you to, to find meaning in the midst of all of this, and there is no peace. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. I think for many of you this is a rallying cry. But he says, This, verse 6 don't worry about anything. I'm going to say that again. Don't worry about anything. But Pastor Rich, you don't understand what I'm going through. Don't worry about anything. But Pastor Rich, I can't cook and all my family's coming over. (laughs) Okay, worry about that. No, no, (laughs) don't worry about anything. (laughs) Don't worry about anything. Why Why does Paul say this? Because it has a comma. It doesn't just say doesn't just say, don't worry about anything. He gives a solution to this. But in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So don't worry about anything. The only reason why we don't have to worry about anything is because we are able to present all of these things that we have that are piling up in our hearts, in our minds, piling up in our souls and our spirits, present them to God. And notice what happens in verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at Life Church Utah dot com.